Hello and welcome to another episode of Soundstage Access, a podcast that brings you in-depth to discuss many of the complex, beautiful, and creative sides of filmmaking. I'm your host, Brando Benetton, and my guest this week is Billy Magnuson, a Tony Award-nominated actor whose credits include one of my favorite comedies from 2018, Game Night, as well as Black Mirror, Disney's live-action Aladdin, and Daniel Craig's final chapter as James Bond, 2021's No Time to Die. In today's conversation, the 37-year-old and I discuss how he was hired straight out of college to star in a popular soap opera, an experience that impacted his process and taught him to work at breakneck speed, often with 40 pages of material to memorize every day, His days in New York as a struggling actor, right before booking an off-Broadway play which led him to his first Tony Award nomination, and how, despite his recent success as one of the villains in No Time to Die, it still took Billy over half a decade to experience a career-defining moment that shaped his entire outlook on the business. All of this, and much more. I know you're going to love Billy for his enthusiasm, honesty, and emotional intelligence. His new movie, The Survivor, opens on HBO on April 27th. And you should also be on the lookout for the second season of Made for Love coming out later this year on HBO Max. If you enjoy the show, you might want to hit that subscribe button to find all previous episodes of the podcast. We'd love to ask you to support us by leaving a review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Please take a moment to do it as it really makes a massive difference. But now, without further ado, let's go to our conversation. Billy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you, Brando. We're going to make sure listeners know all about your upcoming projects, including the new season of Made for Love and The Survivor, which drops on HBO on April 27th. But I wanted to begin our conversation by talking about your time on the show as the world turns. You were lucky enough to be cast on it shortly after graduating North Carolina School of the Arts. So as we begin to discuss your creative process... How do you think the rigid schedule of television soap opera with shooting days when you had to handle up to 40 pages of script a day, how did that function as the perfect training ground for you as an actor? Thank you again for having me on your show and having this dialogue with me. I think you're right in saying that I was fortunate and lucky to get that job right out of college. It was my first job actually ever was the Eugene O'Neill Playwriting Festival and I got fired from it for making up lines. Because it's a playwright festival. It's all about the words. And I, I did not read them. Yeah, being on the soap opera was one of the greatest opportunities or learning curves I experienced early on in my career. Like, you know, I went to four years of acting conservatory at North Carolina School of the Arts. And yeah, they teach you all the tools you need, all the, the tricks, all how to attack a script, how to attack a character, all, all that. But there is nothing at stake there. And being a young actor going straight into soap operas, you quickly learn people's livelihoods are at stake. So time is money. 
and it puts a and I'm not it's not a scary thing by any means, but it's more of a like, oh, this this matters. This matters to people. And if you're not going to show up, you're out, you know, and that's a really great thing that school can't teach you. Because again, it's with colleges or your schools, you, you're paying to be there. This is different. These people are paying you t- for your time. And when do you become an artist? So other than just being like, oh, this is definitely real. This is happening. This is going to be on national television. This is my career. I think you just have to show up. It forced you swiftly to realize the preparation you need to address a character, to be prepared on set how to be a part of the wheel of a, of a TV show or a project. How am I fitting into this situation? It just, it forced my hand really fast. So then the discipline of memorizing lines, 40 pages a night, it, it's not like it was hard because it's, it had to be done. It was necessary. There's, there was no other way to operate other than do the work at home and make it happen and show up and do your job because no one cares how you prepared. No one cares how if you had Stanislavski or uh, Meisner, then don't give us a fuck. No one gives a shit. Who gives a shit? No, do the job that is on the page. And that's what we're doing. So it just forces you to um, be present. Dive right in. Dive right in. Yeah. In a previous interview, you spoke about realizing that as you were impatiently waiting for bigger opportunities to come along, there was a moment when you realize that your professional path into acting had already started. This is your first quote for today. Quote, no matter how young you are, once you decide to show up to your own career, it's a fucking gold mine. Close quote. <laughs> so as you were transitioning from being a student of acting to allowing yourself to be considered a full-on professional, how did that moment of realization impact your creative drive moving forward? It took me six years, to tell you the truth, to even recognize that. There was always this thing like, this is a stepping stone. But I think it was also a personal goal, like my own personal goals that I was like, okay, once I hit this peak or whatever, my career started. And then it wasn't until six years down it where you go, oh my God, that's what a career is. Every job is your career. Like this is the narrative of my life. I didn't realize I was writing it as I was living it. So it it did take time to realize that because I think we do as young artists, again, once you claim you're an artist and when you you take ownership, that's when you become an artist. When you're young, you're looking ahead and you're not being present with you. And like it was it was like six, seven years after I started where I was like, oh, shit, this everything I'm doing has led me to the next step. So that is my career. I don't know. I feel very lucky and fortunate. It's it's funny, like every project I've been a part of in my whole career somehow cultivated something out of me that I needed at that time in my life. I don't know. There, there's this energy that just comes into your, your universe and you have to explore these paths as a human being. And you're like, I didn't know I needed this at that time. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, I would like to make a toast to Adelaide, my hempstead hamster that's in the bedroom. Okay, stop. (laughs) But um, I don't know if you guys heard, she's engaged to be my my bride. I I don't deserve her, that's for sure. She doesn't deserve this, but I'm going to do it anyway, so I don't know. What are you going to do? Dad, you the man. Start it up. Every breath you take And 
And every move you make Every bond you break Every step you take I'll be watching you that's right. the thing. There is no thing as a right track. And like, I think it's such a weird question or an interesting question. Who do you want your career to be like? Or who? And you're like, I, I, mine? I want it to be like mine? I don't know. Do you, no one else has the same story. No one lives the same life. It's either we're proud as we move through it or we're fearful of it. I know theater has always been a large part of your life. And when your audition for Vani and Sony and Mosh and Spike came along, you were living in New York City and hadn't worked for a year, I believe. Yeah. And the show, in which you star as Sigourney Weaver's lover, started off Broadway in Princeton, New Jersey, and ended up with you earning a Tony nomination. Once again, quote, We got to the point doing that play where we could have a conversation on stage, doing the play full out, and be talking about the person in third row who's eating chips. Close quote. Now, Compared to your film roles today, what's the biggest creative benefit about sharing the same material with the same three people on stage for over a year of your life? What, what kind of skills does it train in you as an actor? I think that the strongest muscle you kind of gain through theater, first off, is just stamina. You learn how to just keep running, you know, two and a half, three hour play. You're just, it's a lot. It's a lot of energy. They call it the, the Broadway diet, you know, the Broadway fit. Because you are, eight shows a week, running it, making it happen. But I think it's the sense of community with theater that exists. It is the same show every night. It is the same text. It's the same lines, same costumes, same theater. But it's the family and it is the community that you grow there. And like there is a personal relationship and bonds you build with someone that, you know, sometimes you don't get that on film. You know, a year of your life where, yes, work happens, but life happens in between work. And it's just, it's getting to expand your family and understand different points of life and where people come from, you know? Like having that dressing room with David Hyde Pierce was one of the biggest gifts I ever had in my life. The show, yes, was unbelievable. But getting to sit with such a talented veteran actor every night and have bullshit stories about life and how our lives are doing, that's priceless. You can't exchange that for anything. That moment David and I shared that dressing room you can't be more intimate than that, you know? For anyone who doesn't know, Broadway dressing rooms are notoriously small, at least, you know, in some of the theaters. They are notoriously I remember when I did the Ritz, it was like 12 guys in, in a 12 by 12 room. It was basically a prison cell. You develop a family and a, a communication and relationships. It was beautiful, man. I miss, I miss theater so much. There, there's something about, again, film and television, there's no routine in it. There's no, there's a routine of how to, oh God, you can't even say that. Like to address a character or develop a character, I, w I was about to say there's a routine, but there's not. Like every character I've ever played, I've come to the situation differently and tried to dissect the character differently because it, it's necessary to dissect these minds differently. No, no one's the same. But with theater, there's a routine. You, you work the play. You spend a month to a month and a half if you're lucky on developing this character and the show and then throwing it all away and just playing, really playing, you know? But the, the routine is the nice thing that you, you don't get in film. Is I knew I had to be at the theater at 7, 7 p.m. every night. 
and I would be done at 11. And then I could have a life in between it. But with film, you know, you're, you're going away for four months and you are at the whim of the schedule. And that's kind of what you sign up for. But also what you may be talking about is the fact that if you're a day player on a show, it's, it's a lot harder to try and create that bond with people. You know, I, I agree with you. When you're young in your career and you're starting off, yes, you feel like a day player. You feel an outsider. You're coming into a strange world and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> are they going to know I don't know what I'm doing? You know, it's like, but as my career, you know, I'm almost, how, the, how old am I? I'm like, I'm like 16, 17, almost 17, 16 years into my career. And the family expands. I always thought like projects were just chapters in my life and it disappears forever. But the truth is, People have been coming back into my life, working with the same people over and over again. And the community has expanded from just individual projects to careers, you know, and the people that I run into over and over again. Like, for instance, Kristen Milioti, the lead of Made for Love. I've now known her 11 years and I've worked with her four times. Uh, do we hang out ever? No, but we know each other on set and we're wonderful, wonderful with each other. And that relationship has, it's an 11-year relationship with that woman. It's wild how it changes over the years. Before discussing specific projects, I wanted to ask you about how, as an actor, you can perceive your own identity within the larger film industry. Quote, as an actor, you're color in someone else's palette. You could be the best blue, but you can only be blue. In a way, as much as you want to collaborate, you're not there to be the painter, but you can still be valuable even as just a color. Close quote. You have often talked about feeling like you play the villain a lot more than you play the hero. So to what degree does being aware of your identity as an actor inform the type of projects you choose to accept or turn down? Oh, man. I, I don't know if that's a fair question to assess, or maybe I'm not the right person to answer it. Again, the only thing I can control are projects I pursue. I can't control if I get a project or not. So as I've moved through this, I wish I can really orchestrate what this career has been. Like, again, what I wanted to do and what I want to see are two different things that's actually out there for my career. I think it's a little too egocentric to think you have control. It's a bit of organized chaos and opportunity shows up and it's either you swing for the fences or you don't. I wish I could give more credit to really designing my career, but I think it's Opportunity has shown up at my doorstep, and it's it's whether or not I step into it or not. And I like I've stepped into great opportunities where I didn't show up, and like that's the, my biggest regrets ever. Like if you're gonna do something, do it to the best of your ability. Don't half-ass it. That's the biggest thing I could like recommend. Because every project I did that, I, I fully regret. Who are you? You always thought of me as the brother you wish you had, right? Maybe I'm that. Or maybe my purpose was just to get you to this moment. I wonder if the gradual exposure you've earned as an actor has shifted your opportunities in regards to at least being able to select roles. Well, I wish that's the case. And I think there are projects and in independent films where you're like, oh, I want to artistically fulfill this way and make this happen. And then at the same time, man, I got to pay rent. I got to pay for my mortgage. You take jobs. I wish I was in a DiCaprio stratosphere or some shit like that. But that's just, that's not my path. 
Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, we still have to put food on the table. And it, it, God damn it, I, it's so lucky that I've been able to do it this long, have it, have a career and have a livelihood through, through this art form. And, you know, to tell you the truth, as I talk to you about it, I'm becoming a little self-aware of, like, I don't even recognize it. There was just a young man, you know, 16, 17 years ago that was like, this will be fun. And now, you know... As a you know, a guy in his mid to late thirties, he's just—it's become a lifestyle, and it—it's it, changed me who I've become as a human. You know, it really has changed me, and like what my priorities are, and yeah, it's such a weird industry, bro. Nice moves, Bond. You won't be able to stop him. So why don't you help me out, brother? I had a brother. His name was Felix Leiter. I'm just saying, the biggest thing I've learned, especially this far into my career, is that, man, it, when I was a young, young man, it was all about the job. It was all about the work. It was all about getting that thing. And, like, fortunately, again, I've had a career and I'm so grateful for it. But as I've gotten older, it's like, what's actually valuable? Is it having your name on a billboard or is it the community you, you share time with? As I've gotten older, I'm realizing it's about the community and the people in your life and the stories you want to tell with those people, not just self-masturbatorial bullshit. The job is to show up and play the part. It doesn't matter where in the schedule it is. It doesn't matter what time of day, what it is. Are you going to do the job or not? I gotta say, Game Night is an incredible movie. Because yeah. <laughs> I feel like the golden goose identity of that project is that it's shot and scored as a thriller, but fully played as a comedy. So wh what does recreating great situational comedy teach you about your timing and, and what does or doesn't feel funny on screen? Uh, recreating is like the, the one thing that I'm known for not doing. <laughs> you get it that way, that take, and then the next take, it's going to be something different. Because I kind of more approach comedy or all types of acting as you build the character. Once the character is alive, that's all you got to do. You have to live the character. You can want to have it specifically played out a certain way, but let's be honest, life never happens a specific way. Yeah, I, I think it's all character base and... Once you have that character down and the depths of it, then you can live in whatever. Like, Ryan didn't think he was funny in Game Night. I think he was, he's a serious guy. Everything he was doing was dead serious. And that's the only way it can work, is that he's not laughing at himself. He's not playing a joke. He's being serious. And that, that's the game. Dude, <laughs> do you know what rich people are doing on their Game Nights these days? What's that? I just read about them. They pay poor people to fight each other and then they bet on the winner. No, that's not a real thing. Yes, it is. If you can have anything you want in this world, you have to raise the stakes or life gets boring. The Kennedys used to have fight clubs at their compound. Honey, listen, you gotta stop reading BuzzFeed every second of the damn day. How about some charades? Before wrapping up, I thought we could just hit some uh, quick uh, rapid fire questions. All right, so if someone has never seen anything that you've done before, what is the first thing you'd like them to see and why? Ooh. I did this play called Sex with Strangers. It was just a two-hander, two and a half hours, amazingly written play. Just the life that happened on stage. It was, it was, it was great. 
because it is. It's every part of a human being. And I felt like I really created this guy uh, through that show. Okay, script, director, and cast. Is there an order of importance if you could choose a project based on these three elements? I think, like, it's a mixture. Like, there are times, like, I just want to work with a director because, A, I'm friends with them or I really appreciate them as an artist. So that, that could be the pulling force of pursuing a project. Script is always the king. If, if it's a good script, you can shoot it with an iPhone, let's be honest. And cast, yeah. I, I've done projects just before with cast and stuff like that. And I think I've made the mistake of doing it for a cast and not the script. And I think, I think it's important. The script is almighty at the end of the day. I rewatched Bridge of Spies the other night. And what must have been interesting for you on that experience is sharing the set with Tom Hanks, Spielberg, and Janusz Kaminski, the cinematographer, a trifecta of old friends who have been working together for 25 years. So because your role in that movie, we can say, is mostly on the sidelines, did that take off some of the pressure and allowed you to just look around and study them at work? Yeah, I just observed. Just observed over and over again. Again, I didn't have to do anything. I, I honestly, it was just like a great masterclass to take and watch how these these yeah. titans have been doing it and how they operate. And the the secret is having a good time. So you're doing it. Doing what? Defending Abel, uh, the Soviet spy. How do you know? Did they post it on the bulletin board? No, I, I was talking to Richard. From Look, if I do this, I'm going to need your help. Can you work tonight? Well, I have a dinner date, sir. It's Tuesday, right? Yeah, no, I'm free. Completely free. Thank you, sir. I listened to a podcast interview you recorded last fall, and you said you hadn't visited the Magic Castle yet. At this point, have you seen the Magic Castle? I did. I've been to the Magic Castle. It's fantastic. I'm a dork for magic. So cool. Like I think uh, you know, acting is kind of similar to that. You you deceive people, not deceive people. You distract people and look here and there, and then you try to make magic happen. You know, it's good. When I was playing Anders, like there, I think that's the whole thing. It's like you're just like look here, and I'm doing this and whatever. It's we should get more roles with that accent. Yeah, <laughs> the Scotland <laughs> accent. Yeah. What is that? Don't don't tell me. <laughs> the cat. <laughs> he likes you. I know. Because in Scotland, cats love me. Hey, puss, puss. Hey, puss, puss. Hey, puss, puss, puss. <laughs> to wrap up our conversation in a meaningful way, I wonder how has your dialogue with yourself evolved in regards to all the great work you've already produced and the kind of projects you're still looking to produce? Oh, wow. That's a good question. You know what, man? I don't know what my future is going to look like. I kind of know what my past looks like. And uh, I think it's showing up, again, wh wherever you go fully and fully committed to what it is. It could be, again, a off, 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 off Broadway show. But if you love it and your heart's there, what's it, what's it matter to anyone else? Well, it could be the biggest Marvel film in the world and you hate it. What, what does that mean? It, like, it's either you show up to meet yourself or meet your challenges or not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my expectations are with it all. All right, listeners, so be on the lookout for Billy's new movie, The Survivor, from Barry Levinson, who's the director of Rain Man and Good Morning Vietnam. The film drops on HBO on April 27th. 
I know that soon we'll be getting a new season of Made for Love also on HBO Max. Billy, thank you so much for your time. This was a blast. You too. Enjoy your time out there. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Thank you to Billy for calling in to record this episode. To Amanda and the whole PR team at Rogers and Cowan who helped set this all up. And to my dear friend Eric, with whom I share this podcast project for taking care of the final mixing. If you enjoy your program, please support us by subscribing to the show and leaving a review. It really helps cinephiles and new listeners discover the podcast. If you have a favorite episode, be sure to send it over to a friend. I'm Brando Benetton, and you've been listening to Soundstage Access.